Alaska's newsmakers. Action Line, K-I-N-Y. Welcome to Action Line. Very exciting show today. We have the leader of our state here, Governor Mike Dunleavy. Welcome, sir. Oh, it's great to be here. Beautiful day, too. I'm looking at the mountains. Yeah, it's a little sunny coming out there. Yeah. Although the storm is coming. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> so um, you have a busy slate ahead of you. You've got the legislature that just started their session. We have the Southeast Conference coming up. It's your second term. You're a busy person. Uh, yeah, there's lots to do. And um, again, uh, I, I've said this ever since I came to Alaska back in 83 that um Love this state and um, just enjoy uh, uh, helping the people of Alaska and um, get us uh, going in a, a direction that's going to be great for our kids and grandkids. So I'm looking forward to it. We were talking off here just before the show, and I was fascinated that you were a teacher, superintendent. Uh, very, you have a master's degree in yes. uh, education. You taught yes. history, and somehow. You found your way into politics. It's, uh, you know, people have asked me that. Uh, teaching and, and politics, they're similar in the, in the sense that uh, it's an extension of public service. As your teacher, you're not there to make a million dollars. You're there to help kids uh, chart a future. And um, when you become a, a public servant, uh, such as governor or senator or representative, you're there, too, to help the cause, to help uh, help move policy along uh, that would hopefully better people's lives. So very similar. Well, since we're on the topic of education, let's start there first, then we can move over to the carbon legislation, which everybody's trying to understand. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of money in that. Mm -hmm. but, but first, as, a, as an educator yourself, and as you've seen this state and been here since 83? Yeah, first came up in 83. Yep, been here uh, many, many years. How do you rate the educational system in Alaska? You know, it's interesting, right? Because um, as you mentioned, I was a teacher, principal superintendent, also worked for the University of Alaska, did contract work with DED, and was a school board president up in Matsu. Um, when you, when you will quote, measure a system, oftentimes that's based upon uh, standardized testing. So currently, some of the standardized testing would say that our system is not performing well, and some, uh, some of the tests were at 49th out of 50. But when you also look at individual schools, there are some individual schools that are performing much better than others and some that are performing worse than others. And so that's a discussion I think is going to uh, take place here in the legislature this year. It began last year in earnest with the Reads Act that uh, a number of legislators and myself as well, uh, Senator Baggage, uh, Senator Holland, a whole bunch of others actually worked on, which will help us focus on reading in our schools to make sure that we get the performance that those kids deserve so they're, they're reading at grade level. So that, that discussion really began last year, and it's going to carry over into this year. Certainly, we've got to talk about uh, making sure the schools have enough money, but we also have to keep working the reading issue all the way down so it becomes systemic, and I think that's going to be a, a pretty big discussion. Colleges uh, also uh, need help uh, for funding, and UAS is always seeking funding in the Anchorage and Fairbanks mm -hmm. colleges. Uh, is there anything on your budget for that? Oh, yeah. Um, um, we've, uh, we actually worked with the university last year. We uh, underwrote a, a number of programs. Um, we've had discussions with them this year, and there'll also be discussions in the legislature on additional funding for the university, and those discussions we, we look forward to having. What we did last year is we, um, we saw the potential for uh, the University of Alaska to be the drone capital of the world because of our airspace, uh, our, our low populations, and the fact that we have a lot of aircraft up here, right? We have a lot of private aircraft up here. And so with the military as well, and it's interesting because if you see what's happening in the, U the war in Ukraine with Russia, one of the technologies that they're really putting into play are drones. 
drones of all kinds of uh, some military drones, civilian drones that have been, re- have been refitted to carry ar- um, armaments and, and bombs and so forth. So it's opportune for this, the, the University of Alaska to really, I, I think, really take hold of this, uh, this, po- this, this, this opportunity. And um, we've underwritten their drone program. We're going to continue to do that. And I think you're going to see some uh, major investments from some private uh, private concerns come up here as well. But don't be surprised if Alaska is named the drone capital of the world. And we've got a lot going on. Really? Yes, sir. <laughs> That's some innovative thinking. Yep. And it's not just drones. It's also submersibles, unmanned underwater aircraft as well. So we're going to be, I'm confident we're going to be the leader. That would be, I see, a fitting drone with our coastline exactly science research exactly defense exactly and the university southeast is well positioned to uh, be part of that as well with the uh, the coastline obviously and you have the military here mm-hmm. you could work and we're in collaboration close, with them and we're kind of close to some of those neighbors that uh, aren't necessarily our friends right I, I was going to ask you about that you know i lived in china for a couple of years before i came back during the pandemic i watched that country very closely they're not as friendly on terms with the America as they have been in the past. The tensions there with Taiwan. You've got Russia in the middle of a war. They're all over the, right over the sea from us. Yeah, the North Koreans. And that. How concerned are you as a governor to secure the borders and coast of uh, Alaska for any <clears throat> action that could happen that's military involved? Well, certainly, um, we are within the uh, the uh, um, missile range, the uh, the umbrella of the Koreans and the Chinese and the Russians. Alaska is we're one of the few states that I think all three can hit pretty easily. But we also have a capable defense up here. For example, intercepts at Delta. Um, we we know we have submarines, uh, U.S. Navy off our coast. Uh, they're not going to tell you where they are, but we know we have that. What was interesting though is. Um, the, the, the government has put a lot, over the decades, the government put a lot of effort into our army and our air force up here because for a long time, the coast actually helped us because it was oftentimes frozen for eight, nine months of the year. We know that's changing. And we're having conversations, as I know that the federal delegation is too, to um, make sure that we have the icebreakers up here that we need, that we have the ships up here that we need, because as the Arctic warms, they're going to see more and more shipping coming through there. So Alaska has to be prepared for that. This is one of the reasons why we're uh, working on the Port of Nome to beef that up. And, um, you know, the, the northwest, car, uh, northwest coast of Alaska is certainly going to be a strategic area in the world here shortly. So we got to be ready for that. These are concerns and worries previous governors didn't have. Even in your last term, it probably wasn't as high a concern as it is in your second term, because the world has really changed quickly in the last two years. Yeah, it has. And, um, you know, we we were the entire world uh, post-World War II was working under a... um, a um, integrated economic approach. In other words, um, let, let's make sure we, 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 we get everyone involved as much as possible, all the countries in the world involved in a, um, growing their economies, integrating their economies. But you're starting to see that that was starting to uh, sputter with our supply chain issues. The advent of COVID really shook things up. And uh, then the geopolitical uh, world has, is re-altering itself now. And so you're seeing alliances change. You're seeing NATO flex its muscles. You're seeing um, 
Russia look inward and to China. It's going to be an, it's going to be a bit of a strange, chaotic world for a little while, and we've got to be ready for it. Is this related to the statehood defense initiative you put on your agenda? Different. And there's two things. And thanks for bringing that up. So the statehood defense initiative is really defending Alaska's integrity as a state, unfortunately, with its own federal government. There's currently 41 executive order actions uh, that the uh, Biden administration has, um, has, has put into place that impact Alaska, we think negatively. And we're talking about our ability to develop our lands and our resources. And so we've put some money into that because we believe in, in, in a number of cases they're wrong and we have, to, um, we have to oppose it. The other thing that we've got is we're asking for $2.5 million uh, for our state defense force. So we've always had a National Guard in Alaska, and we've always had a state defense force in Alaska. The National Guard is dual controlled by the feds in the state, and the feds could federalize them at any time if they got to send them to a conflict, which would leave us in a lurch if we had a disaster up here in an emergency. So we want to beef up our state defense force, which is solely under the state. Um, and those individuals would be able to help with disasters, uh, relief work, et cetera. So state defense force, state defense budget to deal with the federal government. And, uh, you know, as we start the conversation, we've got to look at our defense period uh, along our coast and our airspace. Mm-hmm. And then we have this large number that's in your uh, list of priorities, $127 million dollars state match to secure 1.25 billion in federal funding for transportation infrastructure statewide i would assume that includes the alaska marine highway everything yes highways roads bridges marine highway uh you name it and um it's kind of an annual an annual budget item uh there's always uh uh transportation monies available and the state usually has to put up a match but we see, we always see tremendous opportunity to um, improve and grow our infrastructure, and um, you know we're we're um, we're excited that we believe that the ferry system is is heading into a um, era of stabilization. We've got bids for the uh, the Tustamina to replace the Tustamina. The Columbia is going to be up and running in February in terms of service. Uh, we we uh, worked with the legislature on coming up with a fund that we can deposit federal and state funds into so that the ferry system uh, has a budget going forward. So we're, um, we're excited about what's happening with the ferry system. We've always said that we want to make sure it's sustainable for the long term, and we're headed in that direction. So um, you'll see more discussions on uh, improving the ferry system as we go forward. What about building some new ferries? Tustamina. Uh, we're, we, we've got uh, bids in uh, to actually replace the Tustamina, so that's a big one. And as we mentioned, the Columbia has been um, uh, uh, repaired and is going to be coming to service. But uh, any any new ships like with new technology? Oh yeah, there's um you know there's discussions we're having with uh, potential uh, small electric ferries in Southeast Alaska as well, and so that discussion is part of the Infrastructure Act that was passed. Uh, for example, you could you could easily have a a ferry of that type, an electric ferry from let's say Saxman to Metlakatla, uh, runs like that, and then they could um, they can um, replenish their batteries with the uh, hydropower that you have here in Southeast at night. So I think there's some tremendous opportunities there. I think that's a great idea. I've, I've never seen one. I haven't really heard about this. Well, you hang in there. Right? We're, we're <laughs> heading in that direction. Even in the in the local area, like if you were going from Haines to Skagway to Juneau, yeah. you could probably use an electric. Yeah. And again, we have the ability to um, recharge these ferries, especially at night with low cost electricity on the coast here. Maybe you should reach out to Elon Musk. That's a good idea. <laughs> 
So let's get into, uh, when we come back, uh, the carbon legislation. It's complex. Not many people understand it. Not really. We'll talk about that. All right. On Action Line, Governor Mike Dunleavy. Action Line continues. K-I-N-Y. Welcome back to Action Line. Ken Smith in the studio with the governor of Alaska, Mike Dunleavy. We're going to talk about the very confusing to some people and complex carbon legislation, which there should be a lot of money for us, you say. Yeah, and I mean, I can and I can give the complex approach, which I don't think most people want to hear. I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to simplify it. So with Alaska's coastline, um, with the oil basins that we have in Cook Inlet and the slope, and with our millions and millions and millions of acres of trees, we've been approached by investors to get into the carbon market. This is not new to Alaska because in 2015, a number of native corporations, including Sea Alaska, got into the carbon market with regard to um, trees on their lands. So about 350,000 acres have been put into the carbon market between uh, corporations such as Sea Alaska, Atna, Chugach, and others. And they've realized $350 million from that uh, contract, that agreement that they have with, uh, with certain entities that want to reduce carbon. So that's $350,000. Imagine for a moment, Alaska, the state itself, has at least 45 million acres of land with trees on them. We have more coastline than the lower 48 put together. And we have the largest depleted uh, basin, oil and gas basin, on the west coast of North America to deposit carbon. So there's three ways to deposit, uh, three ways to monetize carbon in Alaska. One is through the trees such as uh, what has occurred in the, the native corporations, especially here in Southeast, Sea Alaska. One is through kelp and seaweed that sequesters carbon off our coast. And one is to actually put physical carbon, uh, capture it before it uh, comes out of the oil wells or is burned, and then deposit it into the basins. The bill that we're, we're introducing would enable the administration to be able to have conversations with those that want to monetize carbon, carbon uh, uh, credit outfits, uh, carbon markets, et cetera, to be able to do business in Alaska. And the, uh, the projected upside for Alaska is in the tune of hundreds of millions, if not billion, uh, billions of dollars, actually, we've got offers for, to be able to, uh, to, to do tax credits, tax transfer credits, uh, uh, carbon sequestration, et cetera. And so the legislation would enable us to have discussions with outfits and then to construct contracts if it looks like it's in the best interest of Alaska. But this is a new and emerging um, um, commodity and it's Alaska could be one of the, if not one of the top players in the entire world to capitalize on this. And uh, of course, uh, that revenue we could use for all kinds of programs in the state of Alaska. So I think it's a win-win for everybody, to be honest with you. So let me, if you don't cut the trees down, you get carbon ratings. Yeah, they'll come in and they'll rate your forest. They'll, they'll examine your forest. They'll determine how much carbon, uh, how much carbon, a ton of carbon per acre, et cetera. They'll calculate all that. And then they'll, uh, they'll give a figure that they'll pay if we uh, maintain the trees. That's the one aspect, uh, you know, if we maintain the trees. There's no transfer of land. There's no transfer of rights. It would be as if you were a landowner and you had a lilac bush in your backyard that bloomed in the summertime and your neighbor liked it. 
but you were saying, you know, I may have to cut that down because I have a better use for that tree or that part of the property. And the neighbor says, hey, I'll tell you what, if you don't do that, um, we will uh, we'll pay you not to uh, disturb that tree because the aesthetics in that case, but in the, the case we're talking about in Alaska, it's the carbon sequestration that people are after. So we retain the land, we retain the rights. So we hunt, we fish, we do everything we want in the lands. Um, if, uh, if, if, a, if a contract is structured, we just agree that X amount of acres in X amount of sections would not uh, would not be harvested for timber, and uh, we would then be compensated for that carbon. How about kelp? How does that work? Yeah, so <laughs> kelp kelp is a very fast growing seaweed, um, and Alaska has a lot of kelp. And the research and there's a, a program being proven out in Maine in kelp farming that sequesters carbon. That kelp can sequester a lot of carbon. And so the concept is that you grow the kelp off the coast, and Alaska has the rights to three miles off of our coast, and we have a lot of coastline. And it basically, it would follow, in, in some respects, what's happening right now with mariculture in the growing of kelp and the growing of oysters. But once that kelp reaches a certain size, and it's sequestered a certain amount of carbon, and trust me, this is a disclaimer, I'm not an expert um, in carbon. But um, from, what those, from, the, from what the experts have told me, they would then... Um, uh, tow that, uh, tow that uh, seaweed out to deep water and sequester it in very deep water, that seaweed which contains the carbon, in an effort to get the carbon, uh, reduce the carbon content um, uh, in the atmosphere in the ocean. And then uh, there are markets growing up around that to pay for that as well. We already have a ton of natural kelp. Right. Can we carbon... Well, that. <laughs> that, those species may be part of the species that are grown, but the idea is that there's a systematic approach to grow the kelp, harvest the kelp, and then deposit the kelp in a manner in, in the deep ocean that that carbon then is sequestered, so it's not re-released. Hmm. Okay, very good. I think I understand it now in the audience. So let's uh, talk about the PFD. It's on the minds of everybody, of course, every year when they get their check. Uh, you have a 2023 PFD payment. Follow the law or change the law? Yeah, the, the PFD, I mean, everybody, everyone that's following Juno knows that the PFD has uh, become a political football here the last several years. We, had a, we have on the books a statutory calculation that still exists. The legislature has not changed that law. But we also have, uh, with regard to the permanent fund itself, a, co- a concept called POMV, percent of market value. And so the draws out of that fund, out of the earnings reserve of the permanent fund, have been limited to 5%, which for a lot of people, that makes sense because then your fund grows and it, 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 uh, it survives for future generations. Yet there is a, uh, there is a, uh, a discrepancy between the uh, calculation to get the PFD and the POMV amount that is coming out of the fund. We've had discussions about this for, for several years. We'll continue to have discussions, uh, but the idea is that we get to a point where everyone can agree on how the PFD should be handled. And so this year we'll see what some of the ideas are, but um, you know, I've been charged with uh, swearing an oath to the Constitution to pull the Constitution and the, uh, the laws of Alaska. And so we're kind of caught in the middle here between uh, two laws that um, don't actually work together very well regarding the permanent fund. So we'll have those discussions again with the legislature, see what we can come up with in order to be able to move forward and get the arguments about the permanent fund off the table. $3,800 is the estimated PFD for the fall 2023. But I never thought it would get so high. I remember, Why? I don't know. I just didn't think it's the investments paying off for us. The yeah, yeah, no, and <laughs> of the um, PFC money. Yeah, and those um, those early uh, uh, legislators and 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 uh, Governor Hammond and others, and those that had foresight a long time ago, 
uh, they did us all a great favor uh, in terms of putting that permanent fund together. And the people of Alaska actually voted in place. It was a constitutional amendment. But nonetheless, um, it's helping us right now pay for government. And, um, you know, it was intended to do a couple of things, and it's doing it well. The question is, um, can we agree on what this is going to look like going forward? But I can tell you right now, with the inflationary pressures that we've had here the past two years, I've had people call me, talk to me, stop me in the streets, et cetera. And they were very grateful with the fact that they did get a larger PFD than they thought they were going to get because it was used for food, it was used for fuel, it was used to repair cars. And so, um, again, I think that's in the minds of a lot of people as well, is how do we, um, you know, how, how do we uh, continue to be fair to the people of Alaska and at the same time make sure that um, we can keep services going for the government? Very good. Well, we're wrapping up here with uh, Governor Mike Dunleavy as the show nears the top of the hour. You're going to meet the legislature today? Are you heading over there? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, we work on the third floor in the legislative building, and uh, <laughs> we have a lot of contact with the legislators. Um, but uh, we're looking forward to getting things done this year. And I'm, I'm hearing that a lot from uh, this uh, this new legislator, legislature that's in place now. So I'm, I'm pretty hopeful that we'll accomplish a number of things that have uh, eluded us here the last several years. Yeah, the Senate majority had a meeting yesterday for the press, and one of the things uh, Senator Stevens said was he, ho- he, he looks forward to a better communication with you this year. Well, I'm always a phone call away or an office <laughs> away, and uh, I'll, see, uh, I'll see a lot of the senators and the uh, House members uh, frequently this, uh, this coming year, so I'm expecting good things. All right, sounds great. Nice to talk to you for the first time. Same. Same. And you're listening to Action Line. This was Governor Mike Dunleavy today, our guest on the show. Action Line. Weekday mornings. Action Line. If it happens in Southeast, you'll hear it on Action Line. K-I-N-Y.